Once upon a time, in a land far away. I'm Katrina, and I'm Jeff, and welcome to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Myth, legend, folklore, fable. We explore what they say about cultures then and now. Grab a hot cup of cocoa and a comfy seat while we retell you a thing. Welcome back to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Happy spring. Spring is officially sprung, although it officially sprang like a whole month ago. <laughs> you can still be excited about it. But it's like started to actually feel kind of more springy. Yeah, because I feel like the seasons are like there's no hard line when they start. And so yeah. even though you celebrate, oh, spring is here, it doesn't sometimes feel like it until yeah. much later. It's like a gradient transition. It's not like somebody walking in and like, you know, hitting a switch or like, yeah. you know, cl- clearing off like a placard and like putting another one up. It's just like it just gradually fades, which is why fall, I think, is the best seasonal transition. Because if you live somewhere like where the leaves change, which actually yeah. is like most places, even if there's warm. Well, there's a lot of places that don't. I take that back. But <laughs> here in North America. It is nice because it's like it shows that gradual transition. Yeah, much I was going to say that like it it snowed last week in the U.S. Yeah, and but s- in yeah, spring so. you also have like flowers and stuff coming up, trees getting greener, kind of yeah. reverse fall. So it is kind of nice too. I was telling my sister that the the snow that happens like in April was is rude. Was like the only no, I was it was the only <laughs> snow that I appreciated because. It would go away like the next day. Right. Yeah. And so I would just watch it and be like, wow, that's so beautiful. Knowing that it would be gone the next day. And that's yeah. great. I get that. When it would snow in the fall, I would get depressed because I knew it was <laughs> the like, beginning of the end. <laughs> it did not snow here, which is fine. And it doesn't snow here where I am now, which is wonderful, which is why I live here. And also wonderful is... The fact that on the 29th of April, which is also in the spring season, we are going to be doing an Instagram live, an experiment. We've never done anything like this before, but we thought it would be fun. We'll be doing some fables, the topic of which is currently being voted on by our patrons over on Patreon. So if you would like to have a say in what we're going to be talking about during this Instagram live fifth Friday fable fest comes for us on Patreon and you can. And with that, Katrina, what is the wonderful topic we'll be discussing today? We're going to be talking about cultural astronomy. (laughs) Did I sound like a dork when I got excited about that just now? (laughs) Only a little bit, but in an adorable kind of a way. So we're going to be talking about the moon today. Nice. We've we've done episodes where we've talked about the moon before, but... Yeah, I was going to say, this is not our first trip to the moon. <laughs> the moon is a very relevant topic around the world. Um, so last year, if you were following our Instagram account, which again, you should do that if you want to uh, participate in our live event on the 29th, I have been making some moon related content this past year. So last year I was kind of following what is called the pagan wheel of the year because it is really applicable to a lot of different cultures around the globe. 
just for like thousands of years, people have been tracking what's going on in the heavens and how it relates to the seasons. And so looking at the wheel of the year when the solstices are, when the equinoxes are, is really applicable to folklore, folk tales. And so it's interesting because people kind of at least like a lot in the Western world have started to associate like watching the seasons and moon cycles is something that's really like pagany or like witchy to do or like crunchy, I think is like. Yeah. Well, the, and I've, I've, I've noticed this as well and I've, and I've seen it and I've actually even thought it, but I think so much of it has to do with the fact that our, you know, society like here in North America, we go from air conditioned location to our air conditioned car to an air conditioned location where we sit for eight hours that we're outside, you know, like we're so yeah. kind of separated from real like nature. Like this past week, this past weekend, I was up like on a little vacation for spring break with my family. And like, we went hiking and did like, we got into some nature stuff and it was kind of like, Oh wow, this is like really nice. Cause it'd been a really long time since I'd like interacted with actual nature. And even then we were at like a, you know, a state park or maybe it was a national park. I can't remember. It was a state park. We were at a state park and actually this was a really nice state park and things were pretty built up. Like there was an elevator to the top of like this like mountain area. (laughs) That's the kind of like built up that this was, but still it's like, it's so nice to be in nature, which the trail that we followed like out to a waterfall. It's like, besides the fact that there was a trail leading out there, it really was just pretty much just nature. Yeah. But anyway, so that, that, that point being like, you have to kind of in our culture here in North America, kind of that we are in our, in our day to day, you have to kind of make a, a special and specific effort to go and be in nature, to participate in nature. So it's like only people that are pretty serious about it, or that's something that they really, really want are doing it. It's not just like a part of life, which I think is why it gets associated with certain types of people or certain other activities that people are like very intentional about nature and the types of, you know, crossovers of Venn diagrams that they have with, yeah. Like pagan witchy people with environmentally minded people with Yeah. You know. Exactly. To my point. And so, yeah, it's like at like best case scenario, they're kind of like labeled as like being really crunchy if they are into that. And at the absolute like worst end of that is that people who still kind of follow like moon cycles or earth cycles or whatever. Um are seen as like primitive or it's seen as like a heathen practice, which doesn't make much sense because major religions, countries and governments still use the moon phases and cycles through the year to determine different holidays. So for instance, the full moon that we had in April was on the 16th. And that moon cycle actually determined the date of Easter for most of Christianity. It was the first full moon after the spring equinox. So the spring equinox was March 21st. And what's funny is we had a full moon like the day before that. And so that one in March couldn't be the one that they determined it. Because right. it came before the spring equinox. And so um, they had to wait like a month 
until the next uh, full moon, which was the 16th of April. And then Easter is the first Sunday after that full moon. And so this year, Easter was on the 17th because the full moon was on a Saturday. And so yeah. the first Sunday happened to be the next day. Um, so they are, they were like back to back with each other. So it was really interesting because you have the spring equinox, which is a day on the pagan wheel of the year and a full moon that is used to determine when we have Easter for one of the major religions in the world. So culturally, it's interesting that the Western world seemingly wants to distance itself from like really earthy or celestial movement bound, like happenings or celebrations. Mm -hmm. But also you see like huge holiday celebrations that happen still around those things that are based in religions. And Ramadan also is determined by moon cycles. That is using the Islamic calendar, and it's the ninth lunar month on the Islamic calendar. And what's interesting is that Ramadan gets bumped up, like it gets bumped forward every single year because it's moon cycles and not adjusted for like the extra days that there are. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. And I was reading this and it was really fascinating because the the closer because you fast during the daylight hours uh-huh the closer that that date gets pushed <laughs> towards like the winter season winter? you're like yes no you're like oh, no wait no you fast yes during yes the daylight yes hours. yes yeah it's like the closer you get to like the winter you're like Yes, yes, because the hours are shorter. But then if you are Muslim on the other side of the world, like on the southern (laughs) hemisphere, it's, 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 you know, flipped or whatever. And then there are some practices where they kind of do kind of a set like times because there would be some places that people could possibly live where that would make it really hard. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Because it'd be Finland. (laughs) yeah yeah the summer in finland you're gonna lose a lot of weight and just die but like that is a practice that two billion people on the planet celebrate yeah and so again like major religious practices around moon cycles and so it's not this like weird niche or pagan thing that's like outdated and so behind us like moon cycles are still very important what these what what our ancestors thought about the moon and how they watched the moon determines things that we still do today which is like insane it's interesting. I wonder how many people are actually aware of, like, for example, with Easter, like I have celebrated Easter for like 35 years now. Yeah. And this is the first that I'm hearing that it's like, oh, it's the first Sunday after the first full moon of the spring, like after the spring equinox. Yeah. Like, so on some level, I guess I knew that it was tied into the moon because I knew that it was like, but I didn't know specific. It's like, it's tied into like, the Hebrew calendar, which is moon-based. And I was like, yeah. oh, it's just like because of their calendar. I was not like 
Yeah, and okay, the calendar is because of the moon, but it's like it's not the moon that they're using to decide it. It's the it's the calendar is the important thing. But I did not know that it was actually the moon. Like it's the first Sunday after the full moon, after the first the spring equinox, which makes so much more sense why it like varies so wildly. Yeah. Like unlike Ramadan, it's not like, oh, it gets pushed back until it comes like to the beginning again. Yeah. It's like it'll be late one year or early one year. Yeah, um, and like this year, like this year, it's a later year, and it's because the full moon happened. Like, uh, like we the, just squeaked by it. Yeah, and so it ended up like, oh, okay, now, now we have to wait. <laughs> but yeah, like a lot of people will realize that the date of Easter seems to like fluctuate, and it's interesting because it's like if the the date of Easter fluctuates, that means the date of lent like fluctuate like when it starts and like when it stops i mean obviously it's the same set amount of days but but that determines when mardi gras is and that's what's really important to me (laughs) (laughs) is when i have to stop eating uh king cakes i don't know if it's something about like the time of year or the time that we are living in or just the fact that i'm aware of it because you are posting about it on the instagram account but i feel like there have been a lot of kind of weird moon things that have happened as far as like the black moon like double blue moon (laughs) i feel as like is it is are they are we in a time where weird things with the moon are happening more often or am i just aware of them because you're talking about it is my question it's probably that you are hearing me talk about or seeing it like on the instagram and are more aware of it because like i mean the thing with this year was weird because it's like once every 40 years or something where that's yeah because like february february is 28 days long yeah screws everything up yeah because like a moon cycle is like 29 point something days long and so there are times when february does not get a full moon at all but it rarely happens because it has to the full moons have to fall snugly on either end. And I mean, even for people who are on the other side of the globe, people who lived in the like Eastern hemisphere, they didn't have those same black moons because they were coming like just right at the edge of those months. Cause we had a black moon. So a black moon in case people are listening, going what is when you have a new moon twice in like a month. So this year in January on the Western hemisphere, we had a new moon on, I believe it was January 2nd. And then it happened again on, for us, it was the 31st of January, but for the other half of the globe, it did just barely fall in February. And so it didn't count for them, but we had uh-huh. technically two new moons in that month. And so that second one is called the black moon. And then when February doesn't have a new moon at all, it's the mm-hmm. only month where that can happen, where you get no, where you get no new moon. And presumably it can also have no full full moon. moon correct. Yeah. Yeah, but it has to be like, again, right on uh-huh. the, either right before it or right after it. That is pretty fascinating. And so it's kind of like those two weird things that I'm like, oh, there's a lot of weird things going on. It's like, yeah, there are. But really, it's one thing that is causing both. Like, because there yeah. was a double 
blue moon. That is why there was a black moon in February. Or there was there wasn't a double blue moon. Because so a blue moon is when you have two full moons. Right. Okay. What was it called? A what double black January? moon. Oh, it's called the black moon in February when they don't have one. Yeah, it's also called the black moon. Yeah. That's weird. There, yeah. Okay, no, anyway. what's, yeah. No, what's crazy is there's three definitions for a black moon. It's when it happens twice in one calendar month, when it does not happen in February. And then it's also called a black moon when you have four, what is it? Four new moons in a season. Interesting. So where like from Yule to the spring equinox, mm-hmm. normally there should just be three, three. But if you get a fourth one in there, then that one's a black moon, which that did. I'm pretty positive that did not happen this time. Right. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, so the, but yeah, the double black multi, moon and the black multi, moon, yeah, there's they happen because of the same thing. Like, like it was two, it was two events in my mind, but it's like, really, it's just that the, uh, uh, like it was just the placement of that new moon being right. the two, the two events was just the result of this one thing happening, which was that the new moon, like the timing of the new moon being like right on the border. Yeah. And then what was crazy was because March's new moon was on like the first of March, then it also ended up having another new moon. Right. Yeah. So that's what it was. And so it was, so like just it, was we- it is a weird time. I, I, it's not just yeah. me. It was, yeah, it was because January, February, and March all were considered a black moon. So it was like a a three black moon long period of time, which is crazy. And so, yeah, it probably is that because you're hearing me talk about it more and point it out more, it felt like something crazy was happening. But like next year, we'll probably also have at some point, I believe next year, you know, we're going to have a blue moon. And that also means that we'll have four moons that happen within a season. Mm-hmm. And that'll be called a blue moon, like as well, when that fourth one happens. Gotcha. Um, so like with all things, I was trying to fit it into this like all or nothing sort of situation when really the answer was both. Yeah. But it is cool to be like paying attention to like what is going on. Yeah, it's fun. Especially, I don't know, because it's like through the centuries, it has either caused people to panic and like lose their mind (laughs) or people have been very like, nope, this happens all the time. It's okay. It's fine. I mean, because like if you suddenly notice a bunch of shooting stars one night, that might be really distressing for you to find out. But then if somebody tells you that happens every year during this month because of how we are positioned out in space. We're just passing through where we do see a lot of shooting stars. But yeah, it can feel distressing if you just suddenly notice an event, like a phenomenon happening. So I've been on Instagram this year, like trying to highlight some of these things, just where the holidays are and also the different names for the moons in different countries and areas um, are usually based on what's happening in the natural world. Um, And that's called phenology. Like right now, this can be called the pink moon because there's um, a certain type of flower in some areas in North America. 
where there are a lot of pink flowers, but different groups, depending on where they are, have called them different things where it's like, like there's the beaver moon and that's when beavers are really, really busy making their dams because they are starting to like gear up to get ready to be hunkered down. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, you'll just the buck moon and it, it all is dependent on, yeah, like what people have noticed happening. And this one year with my kids, we did something where we were we were watching where we were living and what was happening during a full moon cycle and then naming it after the thing that was happening. And so um, like right now is the windy moon. And it's because we get a bunch of windstorms because we're between winter and spring. And so the the air air changing temperature. Yeah. And so we just get a lot of windstorms. And it's interesting because it's like ever since we did that every year, we're like, oh, yeah, this is the windy moon. This is just like what to expect. And we also know, oh, this is probably when my daughter's allergies are going to kick up or whatever, because she and her dad have hay fever. (laughs) And, you know, like, it's just like, oh, there's pollen in the air, like better, (laughs) better get some drugs in this kid. So yeah, I've been trying to highlight those things on Instagram. And so for this episode, I thought that it would be fun to tell some moon related stories. Yeah. Yeah. And so we've told, obviously, I mentioned this before, we, we've told moon-related stories in the past, usually mm-hmm. having to do with uh, holidays yeah. that have come up. And I love, I call them celestial stories, but the actual term is cultural astronomy. I like your version better, too. Celestial stories. So... Like cultural astronomy is uh, are stories that have to do with, obviously, <laughs> astronomy. So stars, planets, uh, the Milky Way, the moon, the sun, everything that's going on up in the air. Because a lot of cultures have been looking at the sky for a really long time. And they are generally in the category of mythology because they are in some way related to religions and or creation stories of the world. And that's not really like, it's not a major focus of our podcast, but I feel like a couple times a year we seem to sneak in some stories that are like mythology world creation stories, or at least tangentially kind of, they're, uh-huh. they're like the fringe mythology stories, like the, the like little snippets. Like when we were telling like Greek, little, little bits of Greek mythology stories. And I think in June, we have a plan to tell a Japanese star story that has a holiday associated with it. And I think the holiday is in July. So look forward to that episode coming up. That'll be a star story. So... Today is not star stories. Today is moon stories. So this first story that we're going to retell, it's not a myth. It might be a religious story. We will discuss that after uh, we're done uh, retelling it. But this is a story about two characters that we know very well. And they're no two. No and love. <laughs> no and love. And two characters that are always at odds with each other. We're going to be telling the story of. The wolf and the fox in the well, which is 
I don't know, kind of hilarious to me because I feel like any story that's labeled the fox and the wolf, I'm like, oh, too, well, I'm, I'm, I'm like, that's too vague of a title. Right, 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 right. There's just too many of them. But anyway, this tale that Jeff's going to be retelling, it's a French version. Take oui, it away. Oui. <laughs> <laughs> what do I say to that? Um, mais oui. So one day, Wolf found the fox and is like, hey, here you are. Time for me to eat you. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And that's like the beginning of the story. And the fox like, wait a second, wait a second, hold up. I don't want to be eaten. And so the wolf's like, hey, if you don't want to be eaten, you better find something for me to eat because I'm hungry and you're the most convenient snack at this particular moment in time. And so Fox is like, okay, I will find you something. And so they start like walking around and Wolf's like, so what are you going to find for me? Where are you going to find some food? I think this is me reading into it. I feel like Wolf is kind of like, he's still planning on eating Fox, but he's playing with his food a little bit before he gets around to it. (laughs) Wolf's like, Asking Fox, what are you going to find for me? What are you going to find for me? You know what I'm really craving right now? I want a big old wheel of cheese. That's what I want. Mm. And so Fox is like, okay, I'll find you a wheel of cheese. And so they start walking around. They go across orchards. And they get to this garden. And in the garden, there is a well with all these stones up around the edge of it. And the well has these two buckets on like a chain and pulley. Uh, So Fox like kind of looked. Looks over the edge of this well down in there. Wolf comes over, looks down. And he's like, I can't see anything in there. And Fox is like, okay, hold on. He jumps into this bucket, lowers down to the bottom of the well. And he's like, oh, wow, look at this. There's a big wheel of cheese down here. There's totally a giant, huge wheel of cheese down here at the bottom of the well. You come down and you look at it. I promise you there's a wheel of cheese down here. <laughs> and so, so Wolf gets excited because he looks over the edge. And because the moon is shining straight above the well, it's reflecting off of the water at the bottom. So it looks to him as if there really is a big wheel of cheese down there, even though Fox was like totally lying. But Fox knew that he looked in and he saw the reflection. He's like, I can make use of this. Very convenient that Wolf was in the mood for cheese because otherwise, (laughs) like if he wanted like a ham hock or something, it wouldn't work at all. So... (laughs) Wolf gets excited seeing this wheel of cheese and he jumps in the other bucket. And because they're kind of like on this chain and pulley system, like he starts lowering down and Fox starts getting like pulled back up to the top of the well. And so Wolf is at the bottom and he was like super excited and saying like, oh yeah, there is cheese. Like get in the other bucket and pull me back up so I can like bring the cheese up. And Fox is like, hey, you know what? You wanted to eat me, but now I'm up here and you're down there. You can't get out. I'm safe. And Wolf kept begging him, like, please draw me up. Get me up. When I get up there, I'm going to eat you. Which, again, like, Wolf always does this to himself. Maybe Fox (laughs) could have been convinced, but he's like, let me up there and I'm going to kill you and eat you. It's like, that's not a very compelling argument, buddy. I want to keep you down there. So, obviously, Fox does not let Wolf up to eat him. And sadly, he drowned (laughs) at the bottom of the well. (laughs) Sadly? Or fortunately for Fox. (laughs) The end. (laughs) Awesome. So, yeah, like in this story, we see the wolf getting tricked into thinking that the moon is cheese or that, yeah, that the moon is cheese. And this tail type is actually where that comical idea of the moon being made out of cheese comes from. For real? For real. So 
One of the earliest versions of this story that I have found cited is a Serbian tale, but frustratingly, I can't find like a longer version of the tale in English. I literally can only find the story in maybe two sentence descriptions, usually just one sentence description in papers. So for instance, in the paper, The Middle English Vox and the Wolf, that was written in 1908, in a note in that paper, not even within like the body of the paper itself, but in a note, uh, like a footnote, it says, the Serbian tale where the fox leads the wolf to believe the moon reflection in the water is a cheese and the wolf burst in the attempt to drink up the water to get at the cheese, blah, 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 blah. The sentence goes on to talk about something else. So I just have that description where they're like, oh, yes, this Serbian tale has this. And I'm like, that's such an interesting difference where it's like the fox leads the wolf to a place, a body of water where the moon is reflecting and is like, oh, for you to be able to get to the cheese, you're going to have to drink up all the water in this body of water. And the wolf drinks it all up. and then. Before, obviously, before it gets to the cheese, because the cheese is a reflection of the moon, <laughs> he drinks up all the water and then, like, bursts, like, explodes. <laughs> but yeah, like, this note then cites a book that was written in German in 1883 that's called, in German, it's called Legends and Fairy Tales from the Southern uh, Slavs. So. Hmm. I know that this story exists, but I haven't been able to find it in English. But that that story from the Serbian tale is noted as the earliest version of that tale type of the fox tricking the wolf into thinking that the moon reflection is cheese. It does make sense that that would be kind of a recent sort of a thing because like it would have to be after like cheese was made in wheel shape, which I don't know when that was, but it's like, you know. So that tale predates now what I'm about to say, but I have, okay. So, so it's like, so I have no proof, right. Of, or I don't have like a further back date than the one that I just gave you. Uh All I know is that people keep saying that it is older than all the other ones, but now I'm about to tell you about some older tales. So, yeah, I'm like, so the date of that last Serbian tale is very speculative, but the tale where the wolf explodes from drinking all the water in a lake or pond (laughs) is one of the oldest, apparently, they say, of the cheese and the moon comparison. But the story that Jeff just retold is one of the most widespread versions throughout Europe. And the, and that's the parts with the, the bucket and the well. And that is probably thanks to Rabbi Rashish in the 11th century, who he made reference to this fable while he was writing about some of the Talmudic teachings. It was in the Sanhedrin or what he was quoting was supposed to be within the Sanhedrin, something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Because there was apparently a very famous rabbi, Rabbi Meir in the second century AD 
who had a collection of like 300 fox tails that he would use to teach morality lessons. Interesting. But all of his writings, so those those second century AD writings about the fox, Mm -hmm. have been lost to time. But because this other rabbi in the 11th century wrote down three of them, we have at least those three. And he credits them back to this rabbi in the second century. So one of the how things, old is cheese? That's what I want. Yes, like how old are like <laughs> like wheels of cheese? You should. I mean, Google. I know they had them back in yeah. Skyrim times, <laughs> which, for the record, is fantasy and non-existent. You're just in research mode. So humans have been believed to have been making cheeses since seven thousand BCE. Holy crap! That is way and older than I would have suspected. So that's just cheese. That, like, that's just like <laughs> right, cheese just in cheese. general. Right. Um, it was like Velveeta. It was expected back then. <laughs> <laughs> like a cheese-like spread. Just kidding. That's a very recent thing. Which Velveeta cheese is like that. And American cheese as well because of sodium citrate being added to it. So if you want to make any cheese into kind of like a good melty queso kind of cheese. Mm. Sodium, Add some sodium citrate right. when you melt it. It helps it stay melty. This is a cooking podcast. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like when I'm like, oh, second century AD, it's like, how long has cheese been in wheels? And it's like, turns out the dawn of time. <laughs> cheese wheels predate uh, Homo sapiens by two million years. But who was making it? Dinosaur cheese. <laughs> All right, we are we are really on one. <laughs> so one thing that is interesting about this, uh, like moon as cheese idea, is that it was never something that people believed. So there was not a culture of people that ever thought that the moon up in the sky was like made literally of cheese. At least there is no known evidence of that being the case. What there is evidence of, oddly, is not oddly, it makes sense, uh, that children in the early 20th century, somebody did some study where they're asking children about it, and very young children would mention that like the the relationship between moon and cheese. But that what that kind of proves is that they were hearing kind of like that that idea presented a lot and didn't know how literal or not to believe it because they were children. (laughs) So yeah, there was never like a culture of people that believed that the moon was made out of cheese. So instead the idea of the moon as cheese or the moon as green cheese was used as a way to say that somebody was like really gullible or just like really stupid. So they, they Uh. would say like, that boy of old man Thompson's probably thinks the moon is green cheese. And like, obviously that plays out in this tale, right? Cause yeah, this clever Fox tricks, this Chad of a wolf <laughs> into like thinking that the moon's reflection is cheese. So yeah, it's like the story itself also plays into that idea of there is not a literal belief that the moon is made out of cheese. But it was the it was the first tale that kind of connected those two ideas. And this tale type is spread throughout uh, Europe. 
So there are also two different ATU numbers related to these stories, which is interesting. The first one is ATU 34, which is a really low number. The wolf dives into the water for reflected cheese. That That's mm. clear enough that we see the correlation. Yeah. So the second number is ATU 1335A. Oh, my god. The gosh. moon in the well. Over 1,001 and one letters later. Yeah. So uh, these numbers, that was really good in your head. That was really good in your head math there. But <laughs> Also, coincidence that it's 1,001. And one later, letter later? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> but eerie. eerie. Pennsylvania. And delightful. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the reason why these numbers are so different is because, like, the earlier numbers uh, in the ATU are animal tails in the numbering system. Mm. And so those ones are the, the idea of the moon reflected in the water as cheese with animals in the story. And then right. the, and the other one, the is... bigger number is like those larger numbers are anecdotes and joke stories. And they involve humans as if they could have like real, really happened. But you know that they're like a joke. Um, yeah. You would hope. Right. Um, Cause there's like tales where, a man, you know, is looking at the sky and then like the cloud covers the moon in the sky, but he doesn't realize it. And he like panics and is like, oh, no, the moon disappeared. And then he like looks down into like a pond as the cloud moves out of the way and he sees the right. moon in the lake and he's like, oh, no, it fell into this lake or whatever and then he jumps into the lake and all of his splashing like distorts the moon in the reflection and he's like oh no where'd it go and then he looks up and he sees it's back in the sky and then he's like oh thank goodness i fixed it so like in, in a story like that you would hope you know that that it where it could happen there's not like a magical element in it but that you would hope that it, it wasn't based on a true story <laughs> so what's also interesting is that the green cheese could have two meanings it can either mean a new fresh cheese because the word green at mm. the time was often used to talk about like the age of something. So yeah. if you were like really. Like, that's like young. Because yeah, it's related to like, like inexperienced. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so it could be like referencing that the the cheese that they're they're just saying it looks like the color of fresh cheese, new cheese. Right. Or it could be saying green because people felt that there was kind of like a greenish hue when they looked up at the sky. Mm -hmm. And so that was just them saying that like the moon to them had like a greenish hue to it. And there, it it's kind of unclear which it was that the people meant because like the farther along you get from the people who kind of invented the saying or started using it, the more it's speculation because people are passing on a phrase that they've heard Without necessarily really right. knowing what it is. I mean, we do it all the time with like idioms that we have no idea, like why yeah. people were saying oh, yeah. like bite the bullet, which I just found out that apparently the most common version of that, that people think that bite the bullet means where they're like, oh yeah, because mm -hmm. if you were getting surgery, like it, it in the military, they'd put like a hard, like, you know, they'd put like a bullet in your mouth so you could bite down. Apparently that is completely wrong because they would never have put metal in your mouth it's too hard you could like break yeah. like it could cause like you damage doing that 
Yeah. But it had to do with, uh, I'm trying to remember, it was like these, it was like a soft packet of something, like, I, I think it was like a packet of, like, gunpowder or something, where it was, like, wrapped in, like, a, a, a uh, layer. Like cotton yeah. or something. But anyway, that's, like, beside the point. So, it's hard to tell because there's not evidence of people writing down the reason why we said green cheese is because <laughs> we meant fresh cheese. Because obviously the the meaning would have been clear at the time. You all get it. You get it. So anyway, I thought that was a fun moon story for people that like wasn't at all <laughs> religiously based. Uh, it's like it has like fable vibes, but it's like, you know. Yeah, it's 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 a story that it predates a lot of the fox and wolf related stories that were very common in the medieval period. In medieval literature at the time, there were like three different sets of works that all dealt with like animal stories, like bestiaries, fables, and then like beast epics like that was a lot of what was going on like at the time. And so it sounds, this story has a lot of those like, like Aesop vibes that those stories were being passed mm-hmm. around a lot and, and influencing stuff that was like being written. And then, yeah. So it like, it definitely has those vibes, which is why it's interesting that the records of it point back to like these rabbis that predate yeah. like the medieval period. That's yeah, surprising. Yeah. So, yeah, when I was saying like, oh, that story, it's it's not like a, a part of a mythology or like religious. It's like it's interesting because it was used by uh, like some rabbis to like teach a lesson. But right, but when yeah. I say like it's not religious, I mean, it's not like it's not a holy writing <laughs> like it's it's not something yeah. where it's like oh if you tell the story wrong or whatever it's blasphemous or whatever like no no yeah so kind of switching over into like another direction i wanted to tell a story from the australian aboriginal region of the world I'm trying to remember like the last time when we told an Aboriginal story. And I think that it was actually in a bonus episode that we did. Cause I think the last time we mentioned Australia in like an episode was way back in a geo mythology episode. Oh, wow. Um, so it's been a minute. So I wanted to first like review some research that I did two years ago because it was after I went like on my trip to go to a friend's wedding like in Australia um but I found it really interesting that their stories that they tell they're said to have like three different layers of knowledge there's the lessons that are contained in the story just about how we are with each other or how the lessons on how the world is And then the next layer is law or laws. And they, those could be cultural laws that, that they have, that they are using to like govern themselves that are taught in stories. And then the third layer are secrets, which are how that story connects to like religious secrets that their community has that are like not the business of outsiders. And that way in their stories, they could be, 
retelling their stories or they could be making a point while telling their stories, but the point that they're making is different to an outsider who might be hearing a story being like, well, this is a really sweet story versus community members who are in the in-group who are hearing them conveying like the secret of the story. Yeah. And so the anytime I'm retelling like an Aboriginal story from any of the like wide variety of groups, because there are so many distinct groups all around Australia. But anytime we're looking at those stories, I do kind of want to mention that and just say that like, I of course am on the, the layer that is just like a face value of the story and like the lesson that most yeah. of us would get because I'm definitely, I'm not a story holder and I'm also definitely not a secret holder. And in their communities, like story holders, they are very careful about what stories they even tell other people are allowed to be like written down. So the stories that we have are stories that at one point or another, a person who was a story holder decided they wanted to have like told and written down that they were okay with like outside people telling. I wouldn't want to retell a story that has been, that wasn't my business to like retell. Um, so right. All of the stories that we're going to be like mentioning today have been passed on by um, story holders from the communities that we're telling them from. And again, yeah, we don't know the secrets of them and we don't even know like the layer that is like laws that are contained in them. We can just see kind of like the the face value lessons that are contained in the story. But this story goes back to the dream time, which is like a creation portion of time, but it's also considered a point in time that it's it's still ongoing, like it's still with us. And I read that how one person described it was that if you are looking at like the blades of a fan and they're holding still, they appear as like a solid object and you can't see past them. But when they're yeah. in motion, you can see right through them. And that and that yeah. is how the dream time is, where like it is in motion. And so you can see past it, especially if you don't know to be looking for it. You just you it's not blocking your vision of what's happening right now. And so you're not concerned about it because it's not blocking your vision. But if you yeah. are aware that it's there, then you can start to see that it is there and moving all around you, which I thought that was a really like interesting like way of like yeah. making it a little clearer because like anytime I've heard about it, I'm like, it's just it it sounds like um like into the multiverse, you know what I mean? Where where uh, I'm, yeah. I'm like uh, I I don't I mean I feel like I still don't like culturally fully understand the dream time. Right. Yeah. But you're closer. This is the closest. <laughs> yeah, by like gotten. hearing that analogy, I was like, oh, okay. I like that conceptual that conceptualization like of it. 
Yeah, it's it's a it's a cool it's a cool idea. Yeah. Like it's a, and a really cool explanation yeah. of it. Um, so I'm going to be telling some stories of Balu, who is the moon. So Balu, the moon, also appears in other stories in the figure of, of what we would consider to be like a person, like a humanoid figure. But then he also can appear in stories as an emu. And I'm trying to remember if he's an emu in any of the stories I'm telling today. I don't think so. But it's interesting because also kind of like the form that people take is is also seems to be very like nebulous, like in the stories, which is just like another fascinating thing. But the first story is just called Balu the Moon, which is kind of the story of how he ended up being where he is. So Balu the Moon was in charge of creating babies, especially like baby girls. And mm-hmm. sometimes Juan the Crow would help him. And, but it was said that like when Juan the Crow helped to make some of these babies, they were generally like noisier and quarrelsome, just like crows. So like some of the crowness <laughs> got into like the, the children that he was making. And then there was another, I think it was like a, a lizard who was in charge of like making boys so like we're just talking about like balu the moon who was who was Making in charge babies. of like creating like the girls or whatever and sometimes being annoyed by one who wanted to yeah who wanted to help but was not necessarily helpful so one day one was pointing out that like what was frustrating uh, to him about making these babies was that they kept growing up and then dying and it it felt like a waste and so he wanted to find a way to just bring people back from the dead and balu like did not like that idea and was like no like the dead people just like let them be dead and in some versions of the story his his reasoning was that like the spirits once they die might have gone into other things and been animating like other things and happy there uh. and so it was better to be just creating new babies than to interfere in any way with the dead but Juan the crow like did not like that and he got really upset with balu and so they quarreled but then later, Juan went to Balu and was like, oh, hey, I just found um, a tree that had lots of amazing grub inside of it. You should go and eat them. And Balu was like, oh, OK, no, that sounds good. Nice to see that, you know, even though they quarreled, things were getting like, you know, back to normal. So uh, Balu climbed into the tree and was like looking around inside the tree for the grubs that Juan had talked about. And while he was so busy concentrating on like looking for grubs, he didn't notice that Juan started to blow on the tree. And as Juan was blowing on the tree, the tree started to rise up higher and higher into the air. And it wasn't until the tree was almost touching the top of the sky that Balu looked down and noticed like what had happened 
And one called up and said, you stay there up in the sky and I will make baby girls by myself. <laughs> and that's why women are so um, noisy and quarrelsome. <laughs> <laughs> that's, n- that's not me making that joke. That's the like a kind of a. a that's actually it, in it's, there. It's one of those things. It's like the like the applied like. And that's the way of the world now. Yeah. Right. Gotcha, um, gotcha. But it does not say like, and that's why women are so, but it's one of those like, and that's the way of the world now. And so anyway, any, each night, Baloo the moon and the tree seem to rise like higher in the sky. And Baloo is always traveling through the sky, circling around the earth, looking for a way to come back down. And he even tries to change his shape in some of the stories so that he can get back down. But also at the same time, he is being chased by Yai, the the son. And Yai, the son, is like a female character who's interested in Baloo. Uh And he's not interested. And so they kind of put them as enemies to each other, except that there's this kind of like unrequited love and... Yai the moon is trying to make it so that he can't get back down also because she wants him to stay like up in the sky. But in some stories, it says Baloo is very resourceful and he finds other ways to get down in the disguise of an emu. That's really interesting because there is, um, I was reading this like really fascinating scholarship about the emu in uh, Aboriginal storytelling and how the shape of it, there's an emu shape that is inside of the Milky Way that they recognize mm-hmm. the shape of it. And as the year goes around, obviously the emu pops up in different like sizes and visibility in different parts of like the sky. And like, that was all really yeah. interesting of like Balu as a character of the moon, but then also shape shifting into like an emu so that he can then like walk on earth and like do stuff. So the Aboriginal people have been called the world's first astronomers because a lot of their tales of cultural astronomy are very, very old. And not only that, but like a lot of their kind of common sayings, idioms, proverbs would circle around or be related to these astronomical events. Astronomical seems like a word that you have to say like that. Oh, yeah. So one of the reasons why the Aboriginal people are considered some of the world's first astronomers is because of how like tied they are both in their storytelling and also their language to the happenings in the sky and the stories that they've connected to the sky. For instance, when the moon is like late rising, because the moon, Mm -hmm. depending on what phase it's in, goes up into the sky later and later in the night. But if somebody's remarking on how, you know, the sun hasn't come up or the sun has gone down, but the moon hasn't come up yet. They will just say like, oh, the moon's late because he's making baby girls. And it's so it's like made its way just like into 
the language and they're tied in. So another one that I thought was interesting that it was tied into a story is this idea of if people see that there is like a halo, like a ring around the moon mm-hmm. at night, they'll say, oh, it's going to rain. Balu is building a house to keep dry. And that goes with another tale. It's called Morigu, the Mopoke, and Balu, the moon. So a Mopoke is a um, an owl. It's like a very small owl. Um, so Morigu, the Mopoke, camped away by himself and just kept to himself. But while he was alone, he would work a lot of the time just making a lot of boomerangs and spears and opossum rugs. And he had figured out how to carve the teeth of possums into weapons and how to paint beautiful designs on rugs and how to use the sinew from possums to thread a needle and uh, just create all of these amazing things out where he was. So as Marigu was looking at all of his work one day, Balu the moon came down from the sky and went to Morigu's camp and asked him, would you please lend me one of your rugs? And Morigu was like, no, I will not. I'm not going to lend you any of my rugs. They're mine. I made them myself. You can't have them. Balu was like, just just give me one of them. I, I, I'll give it like I'll give it back to you. I'm not planning on like keeping it. <laughs> And Marigu was like, no, these are mine. They belong to me. All of the things that I make are mine. They belong to me. Balu then like looked around at some of the other things, like the weapons that Marigu had, some of the other, you know, beautifully painted like things and was asking Marigu, can I have any of these? Is it all right if, if I have any of these? And Marigu was like, no, I'm not giving anything to anybody. They're all mine. And so Balu was like, okay, that's fine. And he walked a little bit away and he cut some bark off of a tree and he made himself a small shelter. And when it was finished and he was, you know, safely housed, suddenly a giant torrential rainstorm came and it rained and it rained and it rained without ceasing until water covered the whole country and Morigu drowned. And the story ends saying, His weapons floated away and drifted apart and his rugs rotted in the water. And so like in that story, it's like pointing out that like you can have as many beautiful items as like you want. They will like you will die. The things that you make will break apart. They will rot. They will like go back in. But there's that that idea of like the, the moon, Baloo, the moon, like building a shelter for himself. Mm -hmm. And so when it's like, Oh, there's a ring around the moon, it's going to rain. Like Baloo has built a house to keep himself dry. And so it's going to rain. And so there's just, so it's like, there's, there is like, you know, those, those sayings that they will say, and they're kind of connected to this cultural knowledge, like through the stories. Yeah. That's like just, yeah, like very fascinating. 
So there are a couple other like sayings that are like weather predictions that also like have to do with the moon. And it's interesting because like, you know, people say, oh, if you see like rings like forming around the moon, like at night, which it's interesting because it's like it's it is them noticing the atmospheric changes that are there that you can see that stuff because of the light like around the moon, that light being changed in some way by the atmosphere because of weather that is going to like be happening. It can help to like, you know, help you predict weather that's going to happen. And so even though it's like, Oh, it like goes with this like story. It's like, yeah, but it's a very like important, (laughs) like they are noticing something real. It is real. So the last story that I'm going to be retelling about Baloo the Moon is called Baloo the Moon and the Danes. And the Danes is like a term that they would use for kind of like the first people, their first ancestors, the the first people who are like okay. us that were right. there and present, but before their, their memory and consciousness but that are like us. Gotcha. Um, so it says that the, that Baloo the moon looked down at earth one night to see if anybody was out moving. And when he could see that everyone was asleep, he decided that he was going to go out and play with his dogs. So I have no evidence of this. And I want to state that right out front, but I feel like the, the way that I'm reading this story, like as I'm retelling it, the word that they want instead of dogs is pets. But they use the word okay. dogs as as a wide catch-all for pets. Like an, animals that are not just like right. loose animals, but animals that you have a close affinity for. And they use the term dogs, mm-hmm. but they do not mean dogs, I think. I think the correct translation of that word would be pets. Again, I have no, I have, there's nothing that's backing that up, but I will continue. So Baloo the Moon wanted to come down to earth to play with his three dogs. And the story says he called them dogs, but earth people call them snakes because it was the death adder, the black snake and the tiger snake. (laughs) That's why I think that the word should be pets. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so I'm thinking like he wanted to go down to earth and play with his pets. And as he went down to earth and he had his pets beside him, he saw a dozen Danes, these first people and they were busy crossing a stream and he called over to them and he said stop i would like it if you would help me carry my it says dogs again i argue pets across this creek and the people (laughs) looked over and though they loved baloo the moon and even trusted him when they looked at his pets they were afraid of being bitten by them because they were not pets as they understood, you know, their own pets. And so even though Baloo was like, oh, can you help carry these across the creek for me? Yeah. The people were hesitant and like, oh, I don't, we don't know. Like we've been bitten by those before. 
And it even says, they're not like our dogs whose bites would not kill us. <laughs> but Baloo was like, if you do what I ask you to do, then I will reward you that even if you die, you will come back to life. Not just from like his pets, but just like in general. And to illustrate his point, he picked up like a piece of bark and he threw it into the water and the bark like, you know, blooped into the water and went down for a second, but then, you know, popped back up to the surface. And he said, do you see how it comes up to the top and it floats again? That is what I will do for you where you might die and be buried in the ground, but you will come up again and, and live again. But if you don't take my pets across the stream, then you will be just like this. And he grabbed a rock and he threw it into the water. And of course the rock plump like went to the bottom and he's like, when you die, that's it. You will just be dead. And still the people were like, no, we can't do it. We're not, we're, we're afraid. We are too afraid of your dogs uh, <laughs> to carry them. And so Baloo said, fine. I will carry them myself and show you that they are safe and harmless. And so he came down and one black snake coiled around one arm, the tiger snake coiled around the other and the death adder went along his shoulders and coiled around his neck and he carried them over this Creek. And when he crossed the Creek, he picked up another big stone and he threw it into the water. And he said, now, you cowardly people, you will not live forever as I do. You will never be able to rise. And after he said that, like, Baloo gave them this, you know, really, like, angered look, and the three snakes that were on him started to hiss fiercely at them. And it says that the people were glad to see them disappear from sight. But ever since then, anytime they see one of Baloo's dogs, they make sure to kill it as quickly as they can because they know that now they will surely sink like the stone <laughs> into the water when they die. The end. So it's interesting because, yeah, like this story is used to illustrate why death is what it is, like why people don't get to like have immortality. And it's also interesting because like Baloo the moon is tied to darkness and death. And so in this story, the moon as like a dark entity mm -hmm. is tied in with the concept of death which is like fairly common like around the world that you know the, like that that darkness being related to death and destruction the, the thing i think it's interesting about that too is like mm -hmm. the with that ending it's not explaining like why those snakes are like venomous yes. and deadly because it's like even in the this origin story they are already like venomous and deadly but it's like but now like that we can die for sure. And we will die for yeah. sure. Like we want to definitely make sure that we don't mess with these animals. It's just like, it's an interesting, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's to my sensibilities. It's kind of strange that that's how the structure of the story would be. Like, why would they not, were they immortal before yeah. they weren't immortal before? Cause he was saying like, I promise you that you won't die if you do this for me, but if you don't, then you will die. 
So it's like nothing actually changed, it seems like. Or maybe it kind of does because you talked about like you talked earlier about spirits going on and then like animating other things. So does that mean he's like, yeah, oh, no, those your spirit are, won't I, yeah. go on and animate something else? It'll just yeah, be gone I'm forever. like, oh, like, those are really good questions. Uh, there's something there <laughs> the that I'm just that not I connecting. I don't have know. the answer to. Because it is like because it was these these first people. There is maybe this idea that like, oh, kind of like death hasn't come into the world yet, except that they have said like, no, like we're afraid of your dogs whose bites might kill us. And so it's like they're already aware of like death. They must be. Yeah. But it it, like it kind of reminds me of like, like Pandora's box where it wasn't until she opened it that all these like bad things came uh-huh. into like the world. But also it seemed like there was probably already an awareness of bad things. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, and especially yeah. when time in, in like a, a, a theology where like time is a lot like a looser defined. It's like, I mean, they, they are still there now. Yeah. In a sense. Which is like interesting right. to like think about that it's like yeah yeah they had experienced death and at the same time were still alive, but then I guess right now you could argue that then were aren't they immortal if the timeline always is playing somewhere? I don't understand how time travel works. Even like if we're talking about like the MCU, I'm like I I, yeah. I like you know what I mean where I'm like when they're like no no no. Everything is happening simultaneously because of yeah. how time is throughout the universe. I'm like, I can't handle that. So, yeah, I'm like, in a non-mythology sense, what I'm saying is I cannot handle that. Yeah. And and also in this, in this, like, this mythology and this, like, religious world-building sense, I also don't understand. Right, where there's a lot more stuff. Like, there's more stuff that you don't understand that might help you understand better, but you probably still wouldn't understand because it's about time and just thinking about time and, like, anything but a, like, linear fashion gets very confusing very quickly. I'm 100% with you. Yes. Yeah. And I just wanted to make it clear I wasn't, like, comparing the dream time <laughs> to the MCU. <laughs> What I'm pointing out is that I have, I feel a personal inability to conceptualize, not just from this, but also in other areas where I've encountered it. In like a piece of like popular mass (laughs) entertainment that's supposed to be like communicating. Exactly. To the lowest common denominator of. Yes. People like you don't even when they're trying to get it to that level, you don't understand it. So like this yes, very niche, very like, specific, like thing on, a, on a holy and um like spiritual level. I feel like there's even less chance of me like fully grasping it if I can't grasp it in the MCU. Is like yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. So yeah, like I I find these. I absolutely love looking at again what I what I like to call celestial stories like that are you know of up in the sky but at these cultural astronomy stories. So in another kind of way of showing how these stories are also connected with like the the people and like their lived life there is also this belief whether widely practiced or if it was just more of of kind of a i don't want to say superstition but what i mean is like whether whether people 
believed this and practiced this on a wide scale or not. I don't know, but it is something that was believed was that if you if you stepped on someone's shadow that was being cast by the moon, you could hurt them. You could you could invite oh wow like illness or like evil like it was just like bad luck to step on somebody's shadow that was being cast by the moon and so if people were outside at night which again if you're walking outside at night that is dangerous like in and of itself right and so you know the nerves are already high if you're walking around uh, at night but there would be a care not to step on someone's shadow because you could hurt them in a, a spiritual soul deep level and also it was believed that like right. there was like evil that was being held within other moon cast shadows and so you didn't want to be in the moon cast shadows of like other objects either and so it's that idea of like the moon and darkness and death but then at the same time there's those stories of the moon being connected with baby girls and and like creation of life which is interesting because in like a lot of other um like mythologies around the world women usually have this dual nature in the mythologies of birth creation and then also death. And so. Right. Like both, both ends of that, the, of life entering and exiting life are. Yeah. And so it's interesting because in this one, it's not, but you still kind of see a little bit of both in this character of below the moon. Yeah, that is really fascinating. Man, I don't know what it is. I can't identify it, but I love that whole thing about the moon shadow. Yeah. Like, it's just got like a really, like a super interesting, fun kind of like, I don't know, like it, for some reason it makes sense. Like, it just like that, I, I get it. I'm like, oh yeah, I see why that would be a thing, but I do, I cannot explain it. Yeah, I mean, I've, I found, found that very like visual because like I for a while was going to this like goddess temple that was out in the middle of the desert and the times when they were having the the ceremonies out at this goddess temple were on mm. full moons or new moons and so right. it was either very very dark like in the desert because there's no there's yeah. no moon which was incredible to look at stars but 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 yeah. very dark but then it was incredible to me i had never noticed because I like how bright how the moon bright is. the moon is, and that I I would cast shadows in the dark, yeah. And because I mean, of course, like if I'm living in a big city my whole life, which I pretty much have lived in a big city like my entire life. Yeah, it's like the the light pollution. It's like the street. Yeah, are- so I would never have like you know seen my shadow that was being cast by the moon. It was always like a street light would be way brighter yeah. than that. But yeah, walking through the desert from my car and it was like probably like a fourth of a mile from my car along this path that was very like laid out to the goddess temple but that that walk you know i could see my 
shadow like the whole time because of like the moon. And so like hearing that described in the essay that I was looking at was so fascinating just because, yeah, I could visualize it from my like own experience of being out at night in a desert environment where I am thinking to myself, I hope there's not snakes out here. (laughs) Bring it at full circle, just like the moon cycle. (laughs) Oh man, that's great. Man, so the moon is just cool. Like, and it is kind of going back to this whole thing. It's like people, as long as there have been people on this planet, we've been obsessed with the moon and thought the moon was really cool. And it makes sense because it's like there's this huge thing in the sky that's like beyond reach. You know what I mean? Like, and, and like, so there's two things like that. Like, there's the sun, there's the moon, and there's stars too, which are also really cool. But like the moon is so big. Yeah. The sun is so, is big, but it's also bright. Like you can't like stare at the sun and like figure it out. It's like, oh man, it hurts. But the moon is something that you can like look at. You can see the texture of. You can tell that it is this object. Like the sun, it's not necessarily as intuitive that it's like a tangible physical thing. Because like it's em- emitting light that like we can feel like the heat of. But like it's... Like it's not visible or it's not, you know, tangible. But whereas the moon, it's like, it is a thing. It's an object and it's there. And you can see all sorts of things, make up stories about it, try to figure it out when you have nothing else to go on. And and there's all sorts of really cool, fascinating things that have come out of that in different cultures all around, which is just super fun to learn about. And it keeps coming up. Yeah. I mean, to me, what is so incredible that we have been looking up at the sky for thousands and thousands of years and charting that out. The fact that like human beings as like a species have been interested in the science of the sky for so long and have been mapping it out and memorizing it and how it moves across the sky so that we can like map seasons Mm -hmm. and times of year. Like, it's just incredible because I think a lot of times when whatever century you're living in, you feel like, oh, the people in this century are so much smarter because we have so much more technology or whatever, and therefore we are smarter. We forget that like, no, they're like the brains of all of these people were as capable, you know, thousands, like 7,000, 10,000 years, like going back. They were as Mm -hmm. capable mentally of figuring this stuff out as we are today. And I feel like we, you know, owe so much to the, uh, like all the people who came before us that have been figuring stuff out for thousands of years. And then like seeing that evidence, even like within the stories of people who have just been like looking at the sky and charting it. And then also using the moon and all the celestial objects as fuel for the imagination. Thank you for listening to The Fairy Tellers. If you enjoy what we're doing, please leave us a review or share us with your friends. Also consider supporting us on Patreon for access to exclusive bonus content, including outtakes and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash thefairytellers. Special thanks to Andrew Foray for our music and to Clarice Inge for our artwork. And of course, a big thank you to all our patrons. Without all of you, this show wouldn't be possible. 
Fairy tales are always more interesting when something is added to them. Each new telling recharges the narrative, making it crackle and hiss with cultural energy. Maria Tatar But now, it's time to pivot sharply into blasphemy.